All rise! Welcome to the Motorsports Ministry. For all your hot takes and news around the racing world, NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, and more. All right, congregation, take those seats. It's time for the man, the myth, the legend, the Motorsports Minister, Mr. Armani DePaul. What's going on, congregation? It's the Motor Minister, Armani DePaul, and welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry, the home for all the latest hot takes on the racing world. If you guys are watching the video version, you might be thinking to yourself, there actually is a video version for once. I haven't done a video for this podcast, even though I've said it for months that I would. I haven't really done one or uploaded one since Christmas, but finally decided, you know what? It's about time I upload a video version, and here we are. And what better way to do so than with these sets of topics, because I have a lot to talk about here. I'm even going to, I'll be honest, for one of them, I'll admit I was wrong. I had a hot take earlier last month. Not to admit I was wrong, but we'll get to that. We're going to be talking about Corey LaJoy and his run in the night car. What did I think about that? We'll be talking about Alex Pelot. And I guess that's where I'm going to say I'm wrong. And we'll be ending it off with by talking about can Red Bull realistically, realistically, excuse me, win every single race this season. They're so far seven for seven and so far they've done it. Can they keep it up? All that's going to be answered. So without any further ado, let's begin. All right, let's start off with this. So. Obviously, by my next segment, talking about Alex Plow, I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong about something. And I've been wrong about a lot of things. You can ask my buddy William Richard, a.k.a. NASCAR Opinion, even though he'll overblow it like he usually does. But anyways, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about is, so I've said on a couple podcasts most recently on my good buddy, Tyler Villanueva's um, NASCAR Field Filler Podcast, or Fantasy Filler Podcast, excuse me, where I talked about how I'm not a big Corey LaJoy fan. You know, when you're a driver, especially when you're supposed to be the lead driver of a team, you're, even if it's a multi-car operation, it's your responsibility in a way to be the leader of the whole organization because you are the figurehead. Everyone sees your face when they think of the organization. I mean, let's be honest. When you think of Hendrick Motorsports, you think of Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, William Byron, and Alex Bowman. You don't think of the crew chiefs. You don't even think of Rick Hendrick. You think of the drivers. So it's important that the drivers, they need to embrace being that figurehead, that leader of the organization, at least at the public sees. So when Corey LaJoy comes out and says that if he was in better equipment, he'd run better, he's basically telling his team that he's not good enough. You, I, I'm not saying that Spire or GoFast in the past was mag marvelous equipment, but you don't just go out and say that about your team. Say, I'd be so much. He's basically saying, I would be so much better if it wasn't for you guys. So to me, that set tells me that Corey LaJoy doesn't have that mindset to be a leader of a team. And that's why I've never been a big fan of it. That's why I wouldn't have necessarily put him in a top ride. At least 
before this year. Because he's been making that seven car look like a near playoff contender. They were top 20 in points. Ahead of RCR cars. Ahead of three SHR cars. Ahead of even a Penske. So LaJoy, that seven team, a team that's normally around 28 to 30th in points, they've looked fantastic this year. So when LaJoy got the call to take over the nine car for Chase Elliott, you guys all know Chase Elliott was suspended for literally right-hooking Denny Hamlin at Charlotte, rightfully so, might I add. I thought, it was, I thought you know what? He's been making the seven car look good. Why not? Give him a shot. Especially because there were rumors that LaJoy could have been taken over in the nine once El- when Ellie was out due to his injury, I thought, why not? Put him in. It's a one-off. Let's see what he could do. Now, in terms of expectations, with how good he's been running this year in the seven car, with the nine car being, it's not the fastest car at Hendrick, but it's still one of the fastest cars in the field, I was expecting a top 10, given his recent performance and lesser equipment and Given he's giving, he's getting one of the best cars in the garage. I was expecting a top ten. So how did Lejoy do? Let's just first look at the face value. So let's just look at the numbers before we really dive deep into this. So in terms of the numbers, Lejoy qualified thirtieth. Actually, was out qualified by his seven car, which we'll get to the driver in a second. And he finished twenty first after running. Eh, let's running like mid-20s, high-30s throughout most of the day. Now let's get into the meat and potatoes. First off, LaJoy even admitted that he made some issues in qualifying. Then he made issues in the race. He opened. He basically flipped the kill switch, is what I heard, and nearly killed the car. He nearly didn't even start the race. Then he ran about, like I said, back of the pack. Looked like he could have changed the 9 to the 7. He rallied back to finish 21st behind Ryan Priest, the two Collie cars, a front row car, Eric Amarola, drivers that normally that car with Chase Elliott would be lapping, and he finished behind them at 21st. So what happened? Well, there's a couple things here. Well, I'll give first Corey the defense. Number one, Gateway wasn't really Hendrick's best track, period. I mean, last year, Kyle Larson was the best Hendrick car at Gateway, and he finished 12th. A driver who we expect to win on a weekly basis when he's not getting wrecked or wrecking himself, he could only muster up a 12th place finish. And that's the best Hendrick as a whole could muster up. Arguably the best team in the garage. That's number one. Number two... I believe Corey DNF'd out of this race last year really early on, so he doesn't have really the lap and the mileage that other competitors would. That's where the defense is really going to end. Actually, I got one more. I was listening to Door Bumper Clear a couple hours ago on my way to work, and Freddie Kraft mentioned something. When Bubba Wallace went over to 2311 for the first time, he thought that, hey, this is my best equipment. I'm basically getting JGR equipment. I'm going to run top five every week. But it's more than that. It's the chemistry with the team. Does the team know what you would like, what you don't like? There's so many nuances that go into this team besides just getting in a fast car. 
It's not go-karting, folks. So that, those are my three defenses for Corey LeJoy. At the same time, I expect better than a 30th place qualifying and a 21st place finish. It's not like, again, it's not like LeJoy was running top 15, top 10 all day long and just he had bad luck and finished 21st. He ran 25th all race long. That's the best he can do. In fact, the car that he normally drives that was driven by Carson Osevar in his first ever Cup Series start, and I'm not a big Osevar guy, was running top 20 more so than LeJoy, which that can bring up a question of whether it's actually the seven car, whether it is LeJoy, but that's a discussion for another day. But that's a point to be made. His former ride at the time was running better than LaJoy is in arguably better equipment. Not even arguably. It is better equipment. So, I get that. Here's where I'm going back to LaJoy in terms of that mindset. If LaJoy would have never made those comments, and he still makes them once in a while, where, you know, I would be so much better and better equipment. Well, this was his opportunity to prove us right and to prove doubters like myself wrong. And look, I don't want to see drivers fail. I genuinely don't. If Corey went, ran, went out and ran top 10, I would be mad respect. Mad respect to Corey LaJoy. But he didn't. And again, when you make comments like that, saying that you would be much better at better equipment, that essentially your team is what's holding you back. You kind of, you kind of put yourself in a, in a corner saying that, okay, this is your shot. Prove us what you've been saying for years. Couldn't. He ran worse in better equipment than he did at Spire. And I was talking with my buddy in Ascar Penny, William Richard. And, you know, I personally believe that the joy failed. He failed at his opportunity. I know this isn't Hendrick's best track, but you saw Larson. He had issues, but he still came out and ran in the top five. William Byron was consistently in the top ten. I'm not sure where Bowman was. I wasn't really keeping track of him because they didn't really mention him. But, again, if you're going to come out and say that you would be so much better and better equipment, and you get said better equipment and you don't perform – that's on the driver, in my opinion. And, hey, it's not like he just ran bad. He made also mistakes. Mistakes that, honestly, we're not used to seeing Corey make. He made a mistake of qualifying with his qualifying lap. That's how he got 30th. He flipped the kill switch before the race started. Now, maybe it was racing jitters where it's like, hey, this is my opportunity and I want to make the best of it. Maybe the pressure just got to Corey LeJoy. And you know what? In that case, it is what it is. Pressure got to him. The pressure got to him. But those are instances where, as a driver, again, as the figurehead of the team, even though he's just a sub, but again, I'm viewing Corey LeJoy in a different lens because he, in a sense, wants us to view him in a different lens. Because, again, of those comments he made before. If Josh Berry came out and said, hey, if I got into a Cup Series car, I would be running top five, top ten every single week. And then he got the chance to replace Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman like he did. 
I would view him in the same way. Be like, all right, let's see what you could do. And if he didn't, I would call him out. But again, if you are going to make those comments, it's like saying, for example, if you want to be a manager and you came out and said, I'll be the best manager in the world. Well, then you get the opportunity and you're subpar. How do you think people are going to react? And that's the same way with Corey LaJoy. You make comments like that. Then you get the opportunity to, to prove that's true, what you're saying. And you make a mistake of qualifying. You make a mistake in the race before it even starts. And you run terrible. He didn't even run top 20. I think I only seen him in the top 20 once or twice, all race long. He was running worse than Carson Hosevar. In fact, Hosevar finished only six, I believe Hosevar, yeah, Hosevar DNF, but if he didn't DNF, he would have easily outpaced LeJoy all race long. He outqualified LeJoy. Hosevar, the guy who was one cup star, that was his cup debut, who has a handful of Xfinity starts, I don't even think 10 starts, and one truck win in like three or four years. Again, if he didn't say anything, I'd probably just say, you know what, it is what it is. I'd still say it was a disappointment, don't get me wrong, but you make comments like that, and then you get the opportunity, you don't do anything with it. You can't do that. So, Coyle joined the nine car. Will he get another opportunity? Maybe, who knows? We'll have to wait and see. You know, there's always rumors about what's going on with SHR. Wood Brothers is always up in the air, so maybe LaJoy gets a better shot, or maybe Spire keeps improving, which that's another thing to ask. With Hosevar running as well as he did, is it the seven car? Because LaJoy ran great, and then he had Hosevar running top, nearly top 15. Is it the seven car? Is it really LaJoy, or is the car just doing most of the work? I'm more willing to say it's Corey, but with the run that Hosevar had, it also opens up a lot more questions and answers that might not be in Corey's favor down the road. Because, again, I personally think that his run in the night car was a massive disappointment. Okay, so like I mentioned in the beginning, I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. If I'm wrong about something, I'll just come out and say, you know what, I'm wrong. It is what it is. I'll give a reason as to why I thought the opinion, but if I'm wrong, especially if I'm dead wrong, then I'll come out and say it and admit it. And boy, howdy, am I dead wrong about the man behind me, Alex Pelot. When he won the NEGP just a couple weeks ago, I came out and I said that, yeah, it's a good momentum builder. I think he'll do fine this year, but I don't think he's going to come out and just straight up win the championship or anything. I didn't think he was going to have that great of a run because of everything that's going on with Ganassi and him. Well, what has happened since then? He won the poll for the Indianapolis 500. He dominated the first half of the race, and had he not gotten into contact with Renus VK on pit road, he probably would have led the most laps and won the race. Then the Detroit Grand Prix just a week later, he wins the poll. And then he dominates the race. I believe his biggest lead was like 11 or 12 seconds. And that's before Pitt Road. So, 
Yeah, I was wrong about Alex Pillow, um, just, just to say the least. And it's really fascinating because these types of instances or situations, and that just doesn't go for racing. It could go for anything where kind of whether it's self-inflicted or not, you're involved in a mess, you're involved in a situation. You have two choices. You can either rise to the occasion or you can let it crumble you and then you fall to the means. I was mostly going off Polo's performance last year where he nearly went winless before the last race of the season and only had, I believe, two or three podiums and was fifth in points. And that was when he was defending his championship. So I thought, okay, he did have a great season last year. He's coming into this year more than likely a lame duck year. I thought it was going to be more or less the same thing. He might grab a win, but I didn't think it was going to be championship contention. Here we are. I mean, Alex Pillow has just been fantastic this year. Really, since the month of May, he just kicked off. I believe he had a podium in um, Bahrain. Not, excuse me, not Bahrain. Um, Barber. I believe he had a podium in Barber. And I already talked about it. He won the Indy Grand Prix. Won the pole for the Indy 500. Led a slew of laps. Still finished in the top five. With front wing damage on Perot when I personally thought he was done for the race. And he came back and rallied his way to nearly getting on the podium. People thought he could still win the race with how hectic it got at the end. And in terms of championship looks, I'm looking at the standings now. He has a 51-point lead over Marcus Erickson, a 70-point lead over Joseph Newgarden, a 79-point lead over Scott Dixon, and an 82-point lead over Padua Ward. He has a whole race's worth of points over the next closest competitor. And he's also ahead of in my opinion, the greatest the greatest open-wheel American driver today, ahead of one, if not the greatest IndyCar driver of all time, and ahead of one of the best young drivers in the sport in Padua War. And he's ahead of them by, again, 51 points. That's over a race's worth of IndyCar points. He's ahead of them. He can skip the next race and solve the, the points lead. So Polo has been doing great. And again, I talked about it. You can... Do two things, rise to the occasion or crumble to the means. Pelot's chosen the former. He's taken what most drivers probably would just see as a lame duck year, kind of just coast. And, I mean, I don't see anyone who can beat him in the championship right now. Maybe Newgarden? Newgarden's the only one besides him who's won multiple races. And with that Indy 500 win, you know he's going to be more motivated than ever to get that cup. Scott Dixon, yeah, he's been really consistent, but I don't even think he's won a race this year. Or maybe he did earlier in the season. Award is too inconsistent. And Marcus Erickson, we've only seen him in title contention one time, and that was last year. And he, I believe he even finished outside the top five in points. So, Pelot's the strongest driver this year. He's the points leader. He's been on fire the past month. Who's going to stop him? I mean, I don't think the I don't think he's going to continue to hold on to this lead. I do expect Erickson to close the gap. I expect Newgarden to close the gap. Dixon, Award. I do expect everyone to eventually close the gap to Pelot and make it more of an interesting title fight. But I got to give credit to Alex Pelot. And again, I was wrong. I thought this season would kind of just be a lame duck season. 
He'd steal away. He'd have a win somewhere, but other than that, nothing much to write home about. Here he is, eating the championship, dominating the sport the past month, and prove me wrong. So that's off to Alex Pelot. He's having a great time right now in what is could be his final season with Chip Ganassi Racing and maybe an IndyCar. And if it is, boy, how is he going off with a bang? Okay, so. This has been Red Bull's year. I don't think anyone is going to question that. They've been seven for seven in terms of races won. Max has finished on the podium in every race. And Sergio has been a little bit stumbling as of late, especially after Monaco and Spain. But, I mean, he's just been still, I mean, he's still second in points for a reason. And he's still 18 points clear for Fernando Alonso, who's the next closest competitor. In fact, both the Red Bull drivers are the only drivers this year to even have 100 points. The next closest, Fernando, who is still only one back at 99, but that's still something to write home about. So people were saying back at Monaco that that could have been the one race where Red Bull wasn't going to win. They weren't going to be the clear favorite. And then Max goes out and wins the pole, leads every lap, and wins by nearly 30 seconds. In fact, he nearly won this race by 30 seconds again. So this begs a question that a lot of Formula One fans are asking. Can Red Bull win every race this year? Well, let's take a look at the schedule, and I'll tell you guys as to do I think some drivers or teams have maybe a better shot at it than others. So let's start off with Canada. So the Canadian Grand Prix, which is 10 days away from now. I think Mercedes and SMR might have a good shot at it. Fernando qualified second here last year. And he was in a worse car without Pete. He's in a better car now with SMR. So he might have a shot once again to potentially fight up potentially for a win. However, SMR's performance at Spain was not like we've seen the entirety of the year. Fernando wasn't even close to the podium. I mean, they were fringing on even finishing top five, having a top five car. So hopefully that's not a science of things that come for SMR because I'm an SMR fan, but that's going to be something to watch. Meanwhile, Mercedes, I believe this is the race Lewis got his first podium. And he was on a streak last year where he had, I think, three or five races straight with a podium. It all started here in Canada. Mercedes... Looked very clear, Ferrari and Aston Martin. So we're coming to a track where they had success last year. That could translate to Canada as well. However, if you guys aren't catching on, I never said any of them had even a shot of winning the race. I believe it was between Max and Leclerc, and I believe Max won the race anyway. So I don't think, I think Mercedes will be close. So if there's any track I could see Mercedes having a shot, it would be Canada. Let's move on to Austria. Ferrari did win here at Austria last year with Leclerc, which was kind of a shocking win as a matter of fact because Max has kind of made Austria's playing ground the past couple of years. Even in years where he's had the third best car on the grid, he still went on and dominated this race. So Ferrari, that's going to be a team to watch for Austria. Great Britain. Again, Ferrari won this race last year. Keep an eye on Ferrari and Carlos Sainz. However, I will say Max Verstappen had four damage here last year, and he still finished in the top 10. 
He finished in the top 10 with damage. Hungary, domination by Max. Belgium, domination by Max. The Netherlands, you really think Max isn't going to try to win in this home track again? Italy, could be something of note. Singapore, I'm giving it to Red Bull. And at that point, we're just so late in the season. I need to, you know, we need to go later on in the season so I could get a better idea as to where each team is. But let's hold off Canada round nine to Belgium round 13. I think the best chance for Red Bull to go winless, honestly, is Canada. And with Mercedes. I was really impressed with Mercedes back for the Spanish Grand Prix. Just from how clear a pace they seem to have had from Ferrari and Aston Martin. Yeah, they brought in the new side pods for Monaco, but Monaco isn't the best place to have those kinds of performance, you know, to try to test out new equipment. But Spain, they were clear the rest of the field. I know Canada and, you know, Spain are completely, Barcelona are completely different tracks, but that was a promising sign. And I think if Mercedes can continue to ride on that double pony momentum that they have, I think Canada will be one to watch. Look, Max isn't going to go perfect. He's going to run into some issues eventually. All drivers do. Could Canada be the day? And if it is, Sergio's been kind of slumping as of late. He's had back-to-back races outside the podium. Can Mercedes be the team to capitalize? Lewis, he's so as good as ever. George, he's been performing great. Aston Martin and Fernando, I'd say they're the next in line because I don't trust Stroll and I don't trust Ferrari. And I think Canada's going to be the one to watch. I think the rest of the tracks, to be honest with you, I think Verstappen's going to be, and Red Bull in general, are going to be too dominant. Now, granted, Max has run into issues for two years in a row at the British Grand Prix. He ran into issues with Lewis in 21, and last year he got damaged. Could it be three in a row? Max and the British Grand Prix haven't really been that great of a combination. That is one thing to point out with the British Grand Prix. But that's more due to bad luck, in my opinion, than just straight performance. He's been on the pole and he's been up front when he doesn't run into issues. So Canada is the track I'm watching. If Fernando can qualify up front again, I think he's going to, you know, I think he's going to make that push. If Mercedes can keep up with Verstappen, at least stay within the pit window during the race, I think they might have a good shot at breaking Red Bull's winless winning streak. Do I think that's going to happen? No. You see, I'm a guy where I need to see it to believe it. And as much as it's fun to speculate whether or not Red Bull can be dethroned, and they've won all seven races for a reason. And it's no one's really been close. Aston Martin hasn't been close. Mercedes hasn't been close. And Ferrari haven't been close. It's been Red Bull clear-cut in a way, the class of the field. And no one can deny that. I mean, even when Max is hitting the wall at Monaco, he's still over 20 seconds ahead. I mean, Max is breaching track limits, and he's still 20 seconds ahead. Even when Red Bull are running into issues, they're still the best team out there. So it's not that I, it's not that I think there's a shot. 
Well, it's not that I don't think there's a shot. It's that none of the teams have proven they can rise to the occasion. The closest I'd say is Fernando and Aston Martin, that combination, just because of how consistent they've been all year. Mercedes, I think, has the most potential, and Ferrari is their Ferrari. So it's going to be interesting to see, can any of these teams see thrown Red Bull? Red Bull's been clear-cutting away the fastest car, and it's not even close. And because of that, I'm going to go on a limb, at least from round 13, round 9 to round 13, I'm going to say Red Bull still wins every race. I would love to be proven wrong. I would love nothing more than a Fernando Alonso Asimar and win. And I would love for Lewis Hamilton to break his winless streak. But I don't see it happening. I need to see semblance to believe it. Until then, Red Bull's still going to be the number one team in the field. Until someone does, I don't see anyone catching them. And that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, again, finally uploading a video. Took me long enough, but thank you guys so much for tuning in as always. If you guys want to follow me on my socials, you can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at Motor Minister. If you guys want to listen to all previous episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Amazon, and, of course, YouTube. That's where we have all our episodes on those major platforms. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. and. We will see you in the next one.